0: everyone and welcome to the geek rant episode 314 40 years of the force recorded saturday february 3rd 2018 and brought to you by F- uh, element op productions element op.com welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the only show on the internet where geeks rant about stuff Probably not, but I'm going with that. We are recording on a special Saturday episode because tomorrow is the Super Bowl. And yes, I will not be cowed by you, NFL. I will say the words Super Bowl, and I dare you to come get me. Um, But because Miles has plans, and um, ordinarily I would, except this is the yawn bowl for me, uh, I don't care anything about. I've watched less football this season Than I have since I've been an adult I just stopped caring about whiny rich men I really did uh but anyway because miles has a a party going on tomorrow we're recording on Saturday um and that doesn't mean anything other than I just thought I'd tell you that if we're if we're off that's what I'm going to blame it on I didn't get that extra 24 hours of prep time it's the wrong day yeah everything's just different it's so, Super Saturday. <laughs> so I just want to begin very quickly. Uh, I saw, I, I'm a sucker for Netflix documentaries, and one popped up. I heard about it on a podcast, uh, and it was called Treasures from the Wreck of the Unbelievable. And so it's this excellent documentary about this shipwreck of, of a Roman-era ship uh, and they, they drag uh, dig everything up. And so I watched it. I, my kids watched it. It was a great experience. We all enjoyed it. Then I was listening to that same podcast like the next episode, and they said, oh, yeah, by the way, that whole thing was a fake. Uh, sorry I ter- turned you on to that. turns out it was part of an art exhibit. So all the treasures, quote, unquote, that they had brought up were art that this guy had made, and the art exhibit is a fake museum, and the story is this fake discovery, and the, the, the documentary was one of the items in the exhibit, so it's very artfully done. It's very creative, um, but I got sucked in. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, go watch Tales from the Wreck of the Unbelievable. It's interesting, but know that it's completely fake. So there you go.
1: I'm amazed they admitted to it. And normally those things, like, they spin them out as long right. as they can. Well, and then, you know, there's a big expose, and it's even more good press. Yeah, there,
0: yeah. Were, there were several uh, moments in there that I knew were obviously staged, but documentaries do that all the time. You know, they'll, they'll take real events and they'll restage them. So it was like, okay, or maybe they just edited that to be dramatic. You know, that moment where they're just about to give up and then they see a flash of something. You know, that's, that doesn't really happen. But it, editing makes it possible. And then there was one thing at the very end, like just as the credits were rolling, my wife said, is that Mickey Mouse? But it was just like half a frame. And so we all thought, ah, we just, it must not be what it was. Yeah, it's Mickey Mouse covered in coral as if he'd been buried under the sea for a thousand years. and uh so uh seth is this some anime thing bunraku
2: no um the the, um i assume that is how you pronounce it that's from the like the japanese puppet string stuff but this is actually a movie um if you think sin city set in into the badlands from uh, what was that tnt or whatever it's an independent film. It has some high, high name talent in it. And it was a, it was actually a very interesting and enjoyable and a pretty good movie from, I actually, Mark, I think this is one you would like because of how it is done. It's almost like. It looks a lot like Sin City, but shot in a linear fashion, and the story is cohesive. But it's the stylized, over-the-top colors and actors. And uh, anyway, it was just it was. I started watching. And I went, you know, I kind of like this, even though um, the uh, the opening animation makes you think it's going to be this really cheesy bad movie. But it's it's sort of like in the same way that opening animation in the last Superman film how it was done in a very stylized way where you could think oh my gosh this is gonna be a bad film um and then but the rest of the movie wasn't like that that's just kind of how they told the story of krypton and this was the same kind of thing and i i think you would actually enjoy it there is uh there is some blood and uh violence in it but it is it's germane to the film think of it like a musical but instead of breaking out into song and dance they break out into fighting so it's a fighticle instead of a musical but it was <laughs> it was but like I say it was a very enjoyable movie and I'm glad I watched it I thought it was done pretty well I'll like
1: Bruce Lee know. on Broadway
2: <laughs> Yeah I don't think you would I don't think you would see it on Broadway but interesting <laughs>
0: Uh, and then Miles, you are you're you're making me jealous. You're traveling to see Cirque du Soleil. I love those guys.
1: Yeah, we went and saw Car in the MGM Grand Theater in Las Vegas. It was a, a almost a spur of the moment thing. You know, Vegas is only a five hour drive from Phoenix, and my uh, mother in law is staying with us from Australia. She actually goes back next week, so we thought, well, you know, one of those sort of things that she'd really enjoy. So, yeah, we jumped in the car and went and saw it. It's the second time I've seen that show. I think I enjoyed it more the second time because I got a chance to really focus in on the detail. But it is an amazing experience. It really is Um what they do with that stage and the, the acrobatics and what looked to me like, you know, parkour meets, I don't know, just lethal stuff that, that was just happening all about you. Great experience. I recommend that show to anybody. Awesome.
0: All right. And now, so we're going to move on to the discussion part of the show, 40 Years of the Force. This is our our geek culture first episode of the the month uh, uh, show. And so what I wanted to talk about is... Um, Star Wars, not necessarily the the latest movie, although we will talk about that in a spoiler free fashion, uh, but just the impact that Star Wars has had on culture, on not just American culture, global culture. It it is a big thing. Even if you've never seen a single one of the Star Wars movies, you could probably sit down and piece together. You know, tell me some of the major plot points, just because they're all over the place. You know, you you know who's Lu- Luke's dad is, even if you don't know anything else about it. So I just thought it'd be interesting to just to dive into that. Geek culture, uh, a little bit. And so uh, this will be interesting because Miles is one of those guys who, am I right? You have never seen any of them? I saw the
1: first one, but okay. it was in 1970 something.
0: So you've seen episode four only, none of the others. I think it was just Star Wars when I yeah, saw it. it. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, the, it wasn't, it was. The Star Wars, the episode four, A New Hope, was added later. So the original one is was just called Star Wars. So you may be absolutely right. When you saw it, it might have just been Star Wars. Um,
2: well, yeah, but you know, it starts off Episode Four, A New Hope. That's like
0: that's the title. That starts not scrolling. not in the original run. That kit, that was added later. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Like like within like it it did its like X months run and then they did the extended run. They added that later. okay it was just star wars um but yeah all in my i I always remember the episode four but apparently according to people on the internet who specialize in this sort of minutia that was there are film reels that were seen that did not include that yeah i never saw
1: that i only saw star wars
0: so i thought i would just break it loosely into uh, a few different sections the first three the ones that we all grew up with. Uh, episode four started, so Lucas wrote this big space opera, and then took the best parts of the story and decided to make movies out of those. Episode four, a New Hope. Uh, episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. Strikes Back, and Episode six, Return of the Jedi. So, a New Hope was um, groundbreaking, uh, visual effects. Uh, you know, a, a movie literally like none other. It had never been done before. While at the same time, it played with old tropes that hadn't been around uh, forever. Um, and then the empire strikes back, which most people, including myself, uh, think is the pinnacle of the series. It's, it's really where it hit its stride. Right. It's, it's the most drama. It's the, the best, uh, visuals, uh, and then return of the Jedi also known as let's make toys, teddy bears and make money, um, came out. So let's just talk about those three in themselves. Uh, I, again, I've already told you my impression, uh, empire strikes back, um, and I've, I've talked about it before on the show. Uh, I, I rewatch it pretty regularly. Um, and just in terms of, of lighting and art direction and, you know, getting the best uh, performance out of these previously unknown actors, right? So they've been through the process before. They're a little seasoned now. Their performances are all stepped up a notch. The direction, uh, uh, Lawrence Kasdan uh, really stepped up um, and took over from Lucas there. And I just think it's the best of them. But, of course, you couldn't get to five without... Having gone through four, you know, you need to see Luke bullseyeing a womp rat before you could get there. Um, but they, you know, they changed the world. They, they introduced an entire generation, our generation, to the space movie. And, you know, uh, Kenner Toys w- literally would not be around today were it not for that movie. It saved that, that company. Um, other things, other franchises that now exist probably wouldn't exist, launched the, the careers of, of Harrison Ford and, and, uh, um, well, really, he's kind of the only one that super benefited from that series, huh? Uh, but
2: Well, no, Mark Mark Hamill did tons of work. He just never had another big breakthrough right. role. But he was in tons of movies in the really all the way up into the 90s. A lot of cheap science fiction movies, actually. Um, yeah. and lots so, of
0: voiceover work. He's best known yes. now for, for the voice of the Joker. Any right. animated version of the Joker you've ever seen, that was Mark Hamill's voice. Yeah. He
2: did it very well, that's for sure,
0: so Seth, what are your impressions of just the first three overall?
2: Well, I mean, I remember getting the uh, Hoth play set for Christmas, oh my gosh, and I had I got tons of action figures that was so I like had um I had like and I don't remember what year it was. it must have been like right about the time the Empire Strikes Back came out, but I had a like a Star Wars Christmas, and I i i i didn't tear it up i wore it out playing with it and playing with those action figures so much um but you know i i loved star wars um i didn't like the empire strikes back because you know i like the good guys to win but um and i've just i don't have the same appreciation uh as movies on a technical level that you do but um I, and, you know, and one thing we haven't talked about yet is how, really, the whole surround sound and the um, audio aspects of the theaters. Because, you know, um, George Lucas went in to watch it, and he was like, it looks great, but it sounds like crap. And so then they developed what, you know, THX, and, right. of course, and even that's been surpassed, but the whole emphasis on the audio as well as the visual came out as a result of we made this great looking movie but it sounds like you know you're hearing it with a on a can through a string and so really you can credit star wars with the movie going experience today you know the the audio i remember i went to see um Uh, The Sean Connery movie with Wesley Snipes.
0: Rising Sun.
2: Yeah. And I just remember there was this car scene and it was like, you know, it was a chase scene and this Lamborghini just drove across the screen and you heard it drive across the auditorium. And I was like, oh, that was awesome. And, you know, and that that shot and that sound came as a result of the need for innovation that Star Wars showed the the movie press as well so
0: yeah prior to that time not all uh, movie theaters were even in stereo there was a right. mono bank of speakers behind the screen And that was it. I I hadn't even thought about that, Seth. That's exactly right. There's an entire now. It's not to. It it, it may be that that would have happened had it not been for Star Wars. But Star Wars and George Lucas pushing it is is the the first shot across the bow of surround sound and of 3D sound and all of those things. And THX uh, 1138 was a student film that Lucas did when he was enrolled in film school. And so when he when he had his team create the sound system, they called it THX sound. it it's literally named after uh, a student film uh, that George Lucas did. I, yeah, what a great what a great point there. He's always pushing the the envelope. And he he was really pushing the envelope in digital stuff and that brings us to, you know, the second 3 where every second of every piece of film had some digital element in it in a time where we weren't quite ready for that uh, technologically. Uh, that's true today in 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 most movies but it's blended to the point that where you can't notice it It, in, in episode one, the Phantom Menace, every time you saw something digital, at least in my case, I went, Oh, that's digital. And there was never a moment where I didn't say, Oh, that blended into the universe nicely. No, it was just too much, too fast. And I think that's one of the reasons that those movies were so poorly received. Um, yeah, Jar Jar Binks was an annoying character, but there were annoying characters all throughout. Um, you know, I don't even want to get started on the Porgs and the new ones. Um, but uh, the, I think the reason, uh, you know, the hamfisted acting, the bad dialogue, those are all part of the Star Wars genre. I mean, dialogue is bad throughout all the movies. Uh, But these were so poorly received, A, because the entire generation of people loved the first ones. And second, they just didn't look right. And I think that's why people revolted against them so much.
1: Wasn't there like a massive gap between Return of the Jedi and the Phantom Medicine time? I seem to remember it was like 10 years or something between
0: movies. Yeah, well, it was more than that. It was uh, almost 20 years uh, between, well, Return of the Jedi was like 85, 86 Uh, And The Phantom Menace, I think, was 94. So 12 years, uh, um, I mean, 18 years. (sighs) Math is hard. Um, (laughs) uh, What is that? That's only nine, eight years um, between them. But in the storyline, it jumps back 20 years. So it's both... it's it's forward in time it took a long time to go back 20 years and i think what happened honestly i said at the beginning lucas took the best parts of his story when he started making the the first three parts of the story we all realized yeah you really did take the best parts of the story we've seen the best (laughs) parts already
2: well it's also one of those things you know you you think about a uh um a band who gets a recording contract they've had their whole existence to come up with that first set of songs and sometimes it's enough to do a couple of albums but eventually it's like okay if we've exhausted all of our material we have an album due next year so you know and in a lot of ways he spent his whole career before for Star Wars, and he was like, Oh crap, now I gotta follow it up. But you know, one of the best things about the second three, well, of course, the best thing is Weird Al's song. Um, just hey man, it was awesome. Uh, his song about um my, my this little Anakin guy, maybe Vader someday later. I love, you know, it's one of my favorite songs, but I read this article. On the internet, and I, I can't find it anymore. Where it talked about Jar Jar Binks was guilty of war crimes, and he needed to be prosecuted as a wartime criminal because uh, he he suggested the act that caused the rebellion to break out, and therefore, and you know, this was a like kind of along the same times of, and it, it was a veiled thing attack at George Bush, uh, saying he should be charged for war crimes for the Iraqi war, and but. It was just Jar Jar Binks was a war criminal and needed to be prosecuted as such was really one of the greatest things I had ever read. And it made Jar Jar, uh, it made me accept Jar Jar has a beloved Star Wars character to think of him being tried and committed and executed of
0: war crimes. Yeah, it's a great fan theory that, that Jar Jar is actually like the most evil Sith Lord of all of them. And that, you know, he's the one that creates all the stuff. He's the one that kicks off the war with the Gungans. It's it's all him. And Lucas plays him off as him being bumbling. But this fan theory is like, what if he's not bumbling? What if he's planning all of this? Uh, It's a great... I'm sure you could find a YouTube video on it. Uh, To correct my numbers, uh, Return of the Jedi came out in 83, Phantom Menace in 99. So a 16-year gap uh, between the two. Uh, Definitely long enough for all of us to grow up and become pseudo-adults. You know, I was in my, I was the, the, you know, beginning my adult life while I had the opportunity to relive some of my childhood and, and it just kind of didn't work.
1: But Just imagine well, it, the technological advancement between 1983 and 1999. Right. I mean, that's like the first IBM PC versus, you know, the, the first iMac. It's a totally amazing thing. You can imagine what you could do in Hollywood with that technology.
0: Well, and Lucas tried, uh, and it just it just didn't work as well as he'd hoped it would. And then, then when they came out with the the revamped, the special edition versions of it, where they took this old footage of, I, I remember groaning audibly as I watched Han Solo step over the tail of Jabba the Hutt uh, on his way to the Millennium Falcon, and how just terrible that bit of film looked, and thinking, Lucas... Just stop. Just stop. You need to you need to stop killing my childhood. And George Lucas never stopped killing <laughs> our childhood. Every time he made an ed- addition uh, or a change, it was almost always for the worse. You know, when when he came out with the re 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 release of him and and there's like 30 seconds of Darth Vader saying, "No, no, no!" before he throws the emperor down the the tube and it just it didn't add to the story. It didn't make anything better. It didn't sound like James Earl Jones and there was no reason to have done it. Other than to just make me hate my childhood. I, I honestly can't understand why uh, Lucas wouldn't stop monkeying with his own creation. And at some point, it's not his creation. It's our creation, right? When you get so big, like Harry Potter doesn't belong to J.K. Rowling anymore. It belongs to all of us. And she has to bend to our will, you know, and, and Lucas I uh, just could never accept that reality.
2: I would not disagree with you. Um No, I remember, and I mean, you know, think about it. Movies that, the last movie had came out over 10 years before, and they're releasing them on, like, I, it might have been the 10th anniversary of that you, i remember they re-released them all in the theaters and like they won the box office because you're re-releasing films that were made a generation ago and they're better than anything coming out at the time and you know to take advantage of the new um you uh they digitized the footage that they could with the better uh, sound and you know and people were they kind of started the marathons you know they were doing one two and three yeah. back to back and all of that kind of stuff
0: yeah it was the 20th anniversary it was- was 1997, May 25th, 1997. The original release date of the first one was May 25th, 1977. And I remember standing in line uh, for a couple of hours. It wasn't an all-day thing, but I stood in line to get my tickets. Uh, it was before we could buy tickets online um, for the, the re-release of Star Wars because... You know, I wanted to relive that part of my childhood. I wanted to see it on the big screen. I'd seen it on TV, you know, and, and I owned the videotapes uh, and that sort of stuff. But I wanted to see it on the big screen again in a way that it had never been presented before. Because even like you said earlier, the big screens back in the day it couldn't compare to the giant stadium seating uh, venues that we have today. Um, and I felt robbed. I felt like Lucas was, was torturing my childhood by not giving me the thing that I paid to see. I paid to see the thing i loved and he gave me the thing i loved but changed a little
2: uh, if you love that one you'll hate this one <laughs> <laughs> so and i remember kind of going back to the the first 3 um there was a while where there was a new Star Trek or Star Wars book that came out every month, and so and it continued the story from Return of the Jedi. You know, there was I think her name was Marla Jade. I'm sorry, I haven't read the books in over twenty years. Uh, one of them was The Truths at Bakar, where the empire, the remnants of the empire, and the rebels had to come together to fight off this other thing, and and it was like you got to advance the story, and then of course they were all canon up until Disney said. Eh, forget that stuff. And, um, But I just, there was so much, you know, because you got the books and there were comic books of them and all of that. And, of course, you know, White and Nerdy even brings the the Christmas special uh, in, if you can, um, you know, where he goes and buys the Christmas special from the dealer. Um, I tell you, Weird Al had to be a true Star Wars fan. Uh, He does so much for the community.
0: Yeah, that's something we haven't talked about much, but during this whole 25 years plus, I mean, for it's still today. So for the 40 years that Star Wars has been around, there's been about a book a month coming out in this Star Wars right. universe. You know, different authors, uh, some authorized, some unauthorized, some fan fiction, some, uh, you know, but that, that whole culture has just been living on and I haven't been a part of it at all. I haven't read any of the Star Wars books. I have the Star Wars pop-up book um from the movie uh when, from when i was five years old uh but that's the only star wars book i've ever purchased or read um but yeah th- there's this whole thing where these characters are being developed these um this whole uh plot lines uh, that have been were alluded to in the movies have been fully developed we we learned a little bit about what the kessel run is and what it means to make it in 12 parsecs uh, you know that sort of thing um And that's all sort of just been under the under the current uh, undercurrent under the waves uh, of the the cinematic world until, you know, the episode one, two and three had run their course. And now there was nothing. There was nothing on the screen for Star Wars fans for, again, another period of time. And those book. Uh, things started to step in there, and the Clone Wars uh, first came to the big screen for a very short while, but then really picked up on television and on Netflix. Uh, The Clone Wars series um, uh, sort of picked up that mantle, and we learn about these lesser-known Star Wars characters, and it still has a huge cult following today, and I don't think that that we would have gotten The Force Awakens had the Clone Wars not done so well uh, in their own way. Now,
2: did you know there were two separate clone wars i did yes yeah the the and there's this neat fan theory on the internet that one of them was like um true history and the other one was propaganda put out by the old republic like the original one that was like the six episode miniseries or whatever was like kind of historical and the one that was with the really good animation and all that was this um You know, it was propaganda put out by the Republic to justify the militarization (laughs) of the empire. Uh, and it was, it was, I mean, it's a compelling story, but one of the things, um, oh man, I forgot what it was. Say something else, Mark or Miles. Miles, we haven't heard much from you. What do you think about all of this?
1: Um, I've always. Well I look, I mean, I only ever saw the first movie, and that was in the seventies and ever since then, it just seems to have been a, a battle between Star Wars fans and star trek fans and and I got to the point where anytime somebody put the word "star" in something, I just immediately recoiled so so that was kind of where I was at and it's probably a pity because there's probably something that I missed. I think of somebody who didn't follow this all the way through the early movies and then through into the the rest of it. It's a huge bar to get over to try to reimmerse yourself into, a, into something which is owned effectively, as you rightly said, by the fans. I, I even think, you know, I was listening to what you were saying then and I thought, you know, if I went back and I l- watched all these movies back from the start, I still don't think I'd get it because I think you have had to have been on that train ride with all the other fans during the time to really appreciate it. And the details that would would have been obvious wouldn't be obvious to me at this point. So I have to sit back as a spectator and admire the passion that's behind it because I think it's great.
2: Yeah, there's something about people who are of our age, mid-40s, who... Understood the zeitgeist that Star Wars broke through. Uh, And, you know, we were at that young age where it captured our imaginations. And then we're also of the same age where the Internet got popular and fan films became accessible to everybody. One of the greatest is one of the earliest ones. It's called Troopers. And it's a story, it's set like, you know, cops and you have the bad boys logo and it's, but it's these, uh, it's these Imperial troopers, uh, pulling duty on this out of the way planet. And they meet these, um, they meet this, uh, you know, couple who has an abusive husband and all of that. And, and it really kind of sets the mood of what happened. It's a different telling of what happened, um, at, uh, you know, Luke's aunt and uncle's house. And it's just, and it was great it was awesomely done and there's been so much fan fiction and you know now you can get on a desktop computer you can do graphics as well as or really in some cases even better than the original films and it can look really good on not much of a budget and there's been some really good ones out there
0: yeah and i think maybe that's part of why uh you know what for me the Star Wars was one of the really first democratic um, things that I could do. the The toys that Kenner produced were small and they were cheap, uh, and I grew up so poor. I, I ta- I've re- referred to it frequently, but I mean, I, I was in the depths of poverty. Like you don't understand. Like we we didn't always eat every day, um, but we had Star Wars toys. A couple of them. I had a Luke, Luke Skywalker and a Darth Vader. I think they came in a kit of four for about $8, uh, which $8 back then is about 30-ish today. But they were cheap enough that even the dirt poor kid had Star Wars figures. Um, and then, and as this generation grew older and we began to play with technology and making fan films and making our own stuff like that, uh, we, t- we returned back to our childhood. If if we're going to make a film, a stop motion animation for YouTube, well, why not dig up one of those star Wars figures that we've got still in, in the case somewhere. So I, I think it, it, Miles, you're right. You kind of had to be the right place, at the right time. And while you could never f- feel the same passion that I do about it, um, I think you could enjoy it, um, for, as an outsider, like for, for me, I came to the Harry Potter the same way. I didn't grow up in that, but I, I read the books because I wanted to have some understanding of all those people that did grow up in it. Um, but I mean, Lucasfilm uh, in, uh, I don't remember the date, 2012, 2016, somewhere around there. I could Google it, but I'm talking, um, uh, sold the, the Disney franchise or sold the the Lucasfilm franchise to Disney for $4 billion dollars. Think about that for just a moment. George Lucas is a billionaire because of this uh, string of movies with bad acting and poor dialogue. Um, That's not about the art. That's about the way it captured the imagination. And Disney wouldn't have done that, like I said earlier, if it hadn't been this thriving community. It's there. Somebody's going to be making stuff. right? The fan films are going to be made. The books are going to be made. They might as well get a piece of that action. And so it was worth $4 billion to them, $4 billion to them to uh, to remake it. And so they came out with The Force Awakens, and, and everybody of my generation was just squeeing about it, yay, Star Wars, and I'm just so happy that we're having these conversations again. That's what I said, uh, with whether The Force Awakens is good or bad, people are talking about Star Wars again, and that makes me happy. And what does Star Wars Force Awakens do? It makes a billion dollars. They got 25% of their investment back in one movie. Um, that's not gonna happen again as as we've seen Rogue One uh, was sort of like an episode three and a half. Um, it's a new film in the Star Wars Canon Universe. That's exciting. Uh, and then the Revenge of the Sith is sort of the last of that Skywalker dynasty. Um, we end that story. Um, and now there's a whole new you know uh, realm of Star Wars fan fiction out there to be made, but it's gonna be made with a billion dollar budget. And so that's exciting. But, you know, uh, the the next two films, Rogue One and Episode Eight, didn't make a billion dollars. But they're still, you know, I don't think Disney is unhappy with the choice they made at this point.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, and in a lot of ways, I think Rogue One is the reason why I'm ultimately okay with Disney buying them. Because, you know, The Force Awakens and, and The Last Jedi were, in some ways, they were they're kind of letdowns, but for me, rogue one, they knocked it out of the park. Um, there was enough humor and enough, you know, uh, it had, you know, you have the banter, you have the action, you have the sacrifice, um, you know, spoiler alert, people die in rogue one. It's been out long enough. Um, it was like, Oh, I can't, you know, yes. And so the force awakens was, uh, you know, and I mean the last Jedi, there was, there was enough twist, uh, in the movie to get me over the fact that this is a, that this is a frame for frame remake of the empire strikes back. But, um, you know, and there's just so many holes in plot holes in there that, you know, the film almost literally falls apart because the holes almost just ripped the film to pieces. But, not bad but like i say rogue one was that was the film the seven eight year old in me who's like what happened you know why is that shit being fired upon it's like oh that's why yes
0: so yeah um the first three episode uh four five and six were uh you know it was a, a a space western a space opera that sort of thing lots of action uh episodes uh one two and three were economy lessons in space um it was the whole thing the whole plot was about a trade negotiation um and then the force awakens was just kind of um it was a handoff i've got your childhood i'm going to take it delicate like what like when a new parent hands their baby to somebody else for the first time you want to make sure they get the head just right you want to make sure they they hold it and that's what the the uh force awakens was it was the new guy saying, I'm going to hold your baby, and I'm going to hold it just right, and I'm going to take care of it. <laughs> uh, it wasn't anything daring. Or it wasn't anything exciting, but it, it just it gave us the the us in that generation, that uh, sense of confidence. Okay, I can leave my baby with this guy. He knows what he's doing. And then Rogue One was just exploring, plumbing the depths. And I, and I think there's just billions and billions to be made there. It, uh, Disney could release another 50 movies like Rogue One. None of them will be huge, but they'll make money on every one of them. And I'll go pay for <laughs> I'll pay to see every one of them, uh, and there's a whole bunch of people like me that'll do that. That you just kind of I'm like a dog in that respect. No matter how hard you kick me, I'm going to come back the next time um, because it's this is part of my uh, my world. Uh,
1: do Do you think there's a risk that they would ever dilute the value of this franchise by creating a really 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 bad Star Wars movie that people just freak out about
0: if the star wars christmas special couldn't do it um i don't think it can be done that was such a terrible piece of trash and and i own it uh it's become a collector's edition so uh, one really bad movie no um three really bad movies in a row then yeah the fickle fans are gonna say you know what have you done i i trusted you with my son and you turned him into a sith I-
2: I don't think so, Mark. I and has counterpoint. I give you episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> okay. Star Wars survived episodes one, two, and three, and uh, so it, it could survive a stinker by Disney.
0: You're right. You're right. Because because I'm <laughs> no matter how much I yell about it, I'm also gonna pay fifty dollars to take my wife to see it in IMAX. Uh, so yeah, you're right. Uh, that they until we start to die, because uh, my children aren't as hooked on it as I am. They enjoy it, and they know Daddy enjoys it. Uh, but there's, they're going to have to uh, find a way to capture the next generation uh, if they want to continue this saga. But how many stories live for five decades? How many franchises of any kind make it that long? Uh, so if it fails today to and falls apart and there's never another good Star Wars movie made, it, it was a pretty good run.
1: There are a yeah. few examples of that historically. I mean, um, things like Tolkien is probably the one that comes to mind that has lasted you know decades right. and decades uh beyond him um but yeah it, and Doctor Who is another example of something that started in the 60s and still thrives today and
0: Star Trek there are um, a handful of them but just a handful Yeah
1: and Star Trek yeah but you're right it's a it's a handful and any, any corporation that can get their hands on one of those is, is running all the way to the banking glee. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is a phenomenon.
0: I mean, to, to jump track for just a second, CBS is so confident in Star Trek uh, fans that they've made that the reason that you'll purchase CBS All Access. And it's working. People are buying CBS All Access just so they can watch Star Trek Discovery. Um, you know, when, when, you, when you find that kind of loyalty um you know in a fan base you really have to do a lot to to abuse it uh and and so far disney hasn't made any big missteps <clears throat> i took my kids to disney a few years ago um that was before this big deal but disney and, and lucasfilm had already been working together they have a whole star trek uh, star wars excuse me section of the park and they're expanding that now um and Vader is still there. That's the amazing thing. All these years later, you know, uh, uh, em- Emperor uh, the, uh, uh, and Snoke and um, uh, names are just running out of my head. Uh, you know, Emo Vader. None of these guys have, have matched the, the loyalty and the fierceness of Darth Vader. Darth Vader was the ultimate badass. And I don't know that anybody's ever going to be as good as he was. yeah I mean but dude
2: I you know you think about that how was he because one you never got to see him so it was that imagination right and then you just had the voice of James Earl Jones just booming that vase bass and just terrifying people you know and you know and digitize that to make it sound a little more fierce and rough who is going to do that yeah. because you know so I, I I don't know. Yeah. Uh Emo Ren, yeah, he's not that he's not that terrifying. So, you
0: know, the the most terrifying 2 minutes of Darth Vader's entire career is at the end of Rogue One. Yes. When the Emperor sends his dog in to collect those plans and he fails because Vader's entire life is about failure. But at at that point, I mean, my daughter went Oh my god. <laughs> that, that he was really that bad, wasn't he? And you know, it, it, we all just sort of had that sense from again from the 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 books and the the other culture like that. He was never really that tough on screen. Um but that moment there, that was when Vader has his moments and I think for me that was one of the things that made Rogue One so great. Again, it was that nod to my childhood. The whole thing was, you know, it was very reminiscent of the Millennium Falcon and all of that. Uh, but when when they gave Vader his due, and I hope that there's going to be more of that. They're doing the, you know, they're plumbing back in that story. They're doing the the Han Solo. He gets a solo movie uh, coming in the near future. <clears throat> and I hope that as they plumb those depths of of unmined data that that Vader is going to play a big role there. Now, we've got to find another voice for him. Because James Earl Jones doesn't sound like he did a few years ago, but you know we we can work around that. Um, but I hope that we get to see Vader really being a tough guy. We saw the the birth of Vader, and then we saw sort of the fall of Vader, but we never really saw that two decades of him being a menace to to the entire galaxy in between. True enough, and we seem to have run out of steam. <laughs> Sorry, it happens. <laughs> It's all right. Uh, It's better to uh, let it die a natural death than to try to prolong it. So, Seth, I will simply say, what happened this week in history?
2: Alright, Mark. Well, on February the 1st, 1982, the 286 processor is introduced. The Intel 8286 processor is introduced in 6 and 8 megahertz versions. Get that, 6 and 8 megahertz. It was employed for the IBM PC and introduced in 1984 and then widely used in most of the PC-compatible computers until the early 1990s. The 286, as it was most commonly called, paved the way for the PC and later on, Mac caved in as well as we know it today. However, it was not without its problems, and Bill Gates famously referred to 286 as a brain-dead chip, since it was clear that the new Microsoft Windows environment would not be able to run multiple MS-DOS applications with the 286. It was also arguably responsible for the split between Microsoft and IBM, since IBM insisted that OS2, originally a joint venture between IBM and Microsoft, would run on a 286. And Mark, that happened this week in history, and now back to you.
0: Yeah, so that, that uh, if you're not a supercomputer nerd, uh, you don't understand the computer naming infrastructure. So first was the 8088 chips, and then they were superseded by the 8086 chips. That doesn't seem to make much sense. You stepped down and you got faster, but you did. And then it was the 8286 and the 8386, and at that point, we stopped calling them 80-somethings. They were just 386, 486, 586, and then Intel was so good at branding the 586 as the Pentium, every chip thereafter has been the Pentium from then on. <clears throat> we're on the, what, 14th generation Pentium, so it would really be like the 1786 or something like that, but we don't use that uh, nomenclature anymore. Um, but it's funny that uh, IBM was really pushing this one hard, and, Windows, and Microsoft wanted to be IBM, but... The chip just didn't have the, the infrastructure it needed. It didn't last long. The 386 supplanted it pretty quickly.
1: I've got a PC AT out in the garage. And I've got, you know, a regular 5151 um, PC and an XT. Um, and that AT, I, you know, we, have, we had them back in the 80s just, you know, as a regular computer to write software on for customers and so on. But it was, it was like wider. Mm-hmm. Than the original PC. And it just looked, I don't know, it didn't look badass enough for me. I mean, it was just IBM and wider. And now, funny thing is, I was looking at that thing the other day going, man, I think I might gut that computer, put in a modern motherboard and run Linux on it, just as a sort of a, you know, testimonial back to the day. But even doing that, it's not badass looking enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll just leave it in, in its vintage original form, but yeah, that two eighty six was a bit of a meh. I mean, the the eighty eighty eight or eighty eighty six chipset was pretty good, and you know all the software wrote, ran on it and was you know had to run to the clock speed of the chips. And you put it on a faster chip, and all of a sudden your games are going into hyper crazy mode, and you couldn't play it. Right. So. Two eighty six, you know that that became a business level chipset. I think businesses bought ATs. They didn't, you know, the home users didn't bother about it. They stayed with the old stuff, and then eventually they just jumped into the three eighty six.
0: I remember in that transition time from two eighty six to three eighty six, I had some games back in in the old Wolf City High School computer lab uh, that were. Um, not exactly graphical games, but not really text either. Sort of that that phantom zone in between where they were sort of ASCII-ish graphics. And uh, when we made that switch from the 286 to the 386, those games just didn't work anymore. It was too fast. And I discovered uh, a program. I don't know how. There, you know, maybe it was a bulletin board. You know, there certainly was no internet back then. Uh, but later, when I wanted to run those old programs on modern stuff, 386 and 46, I discovered a program called Moslo. M O S L O moslo and what moslo did was give your pc like intricate floating point calculations to do and then launch your program so it would slow your pc down to the point where you could play those old games because yeah there was no clock back then <laughs> it was it was everything was paced to the cycles of the cpu so as the cpu got faster the games got faster now everything's based on a clock and it's not really an issue but back at the, back then there wasn't that you just whatever however long it took your computer to step from one instruction to the next is how long it took. And uh, so Moslo uh, came to the rescue. Remember the turbo button? The only purpose of the turbo button was to make your computer oh, yeah. slower. You know, it was, it was improperly <laughs> named, right? You you push the turbo button and it runs at normal speed. You turn it off and it runs at like half speed.
1: Yeah, this <laughs> one goes to 11.
0: Right, but my software can only handle 5.5, so I'm going to push the turbo button. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Cool. Oh yeah, trips down memory lane. <laughs> it's a big red button.
0: Uh, so anyway, all right. Now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity? Thus making you like a be- look like a better hiring option.
2: All right. Well, Mark, have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a nightlight inside your commode <laughs> so that you could see <laughs> where you were aiming? Well, if you've ever, if you've never wondered that question, I wonder why not. So you can go to getglobal.io. And you can purchase a nightlight for your commode on the inside that has a sensor on the outside so it's motion activated and it even has an air freshener. I mean, this way, it's easy to clean. It helps you sleep better at night. Kids will love it. They'll be begging you to potty train them so they can go to the bathroom. It fits every toilet and it works out of the box. Get GlowBowl.io. You can even go slash offer-01 for all of your... Nighttime relieving needs. Um, Mark, do you need your bowl to glow? If so, then this offers for
0: you. Well, you know, sometimes you don't want to turn on the light, you know, and the wife gets mad when there's a misfire. So I can see there's a market for this. Uh, I actually have seen this before. I think it was on Shark Tank.
2: Um, uh, yes, yeah. it was.
0: Uh, and then there was <laughs> another one that projects images down, so like you could project an image of your boss and then pee on your boss.
1: <laughs> that would be cool. i think it's a great practical joke oh i'd love so, to play this one with my wife she wouldn't even any idea and then <laughs> oh yeah i'm all in
2: but yeah i mean you know it has the benefits because it's a softer not as bright light as your regular bathroom light so if you just have to make a quick trip to the bathroom you don't ruin your kind of night effects by that bright light just stumble down the hallway um, walk in the bathroom this glow and you're going to look down so that way you know how many videos have you seen where there's a snake waiting in your toilet bowl to bite you when you sit down well when the light comes on you're automatically going to look down and see so this is a practical (laughs) sorry i can't quite.
0: All right, and on that note, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us and let us know what you think about Seth's glowing toilet bowl or Star Trek or Star Wars or anything else that we've talked about. Uh, You can go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, uh, fill out the world's hardest CAPTCHA, uh, fill out the form there, and then that... uh, sends an email that gets priority in my inbox. We appreciate, I've had lots of feedback recently of people just saying, yay, we're glad you're back. And that's awesome. Uh, And then other people are uh, like canceling their um, eBay uh, or, or PayPal payments and canceling their Patreon payments. So there's been mixed reaction. (laughs) <laughs> to the fact that we're back, but hey, uh, any feedback is good feedback, so we appreciate it. Um, I, I, I'm happy to hear uh, read your email that says, we're glad you're back, but I'd also like to see uh, you know uh, some suggestions, some ideas, some uh, uh, guests that you might want to have on the show. So uh, we appreciate anything you have to say. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button, or you can dial 559-IMOP and leave us a voicemail on your Google voice box uh, on, excuse me, on our Google voice uh, email. And uh, we'll probably play it uh, on the show because we haven't had one of those in a while. So I'm sorry. I'm really having a hard time tonight. Um, So I, we uh, love to hear what you have to say. And uh, now it's time to just say, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. Uh, We appreciate, uh, we we do appreciate you. I mean, uh, that seems like a silly thing to say, but it's true. Um, We don't get a lot uh, out of doing the show. Other than the thanks and the appreciation, right? There's not a whole lot of money coming in. There's not uh, nobody's going to uh, recognize me walking down the street, and you know, and, and offer to to um, you know do whatever famous people do. Uh, what we get out of it is your appreciation. So we do appreciate it when you uh, when you let us know what you think. Uh, and now, uh, Miles Siles, Siles Meth, Miles Seth, any uh, any final words of wisdom uh, for tonight? Go
2: Super Bowl-ish, maybe.
1: <laughs> you know what? I will add one thing in. Um, we had a... I cannot remember his name. We had a gentleman in December, I think it was, uh, who put a suggestion in because I was whining that my tablet battery was dying and I needed a new tablet and made a suggestion to get an a, a Lenovo tablet. Well, I took him up on that. I bought one. I've got to tell you, six weeks later, I love that thing. So whoever you were, I can't remember your name, big props. Thank you for that. Good suggestion. So see, listener feedback works. It
0: does. (laughs) And in a future show, we're going to be talking about um, our gadget reviews, the things we got uh, for Christmas, the things that we've been looking at recently. So I look forward to hearing about that Lenovo tablet then. Uh, cool. For now, I'll remind you: Patreon, p a t r e o n. dot slash L-M-N-O-P is a place that you can go and uh, you can uh, pay for play. Right? Um, you subscribe there, x amount of money per show. Every time I put out a show, you give me that much money. It's it's the simplest, most pure form of of financing this show. Uh, there's you know I've had the PayPal thing for a while. That's you know x dollars a month no matter what. Uh, but then uh, there's no pressure on me to put out a show. You're paying me no matter what. Uh, but this I really like. I don't get paid unless I produce content. And then you decide what that content's worth. A dollar, two dollars, fifty dollars. That'd be awesome. Fifty dollars per show. That'd be super awesome. I look forward to that. <laughs> uh, but that's the most direct way to support the show. Patreon.com slash Opie. And now I'll say goodnight, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, and remember, pay for what you like.